This talk is offered by Ordinary Minds Zen teacher Andrew Tutel. Andrew is an Australian Dharma heir of Barry Majid and is dedicated to extending Barry's vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Find out more at ordinarymind.com.au. Andrew's Zen teachings are made possible by donations from people like you. You would have all heard the um, line, one is all and all is one. Ever since we were very young in years, probably we've always known that it was all one. Um, but that kind of knowing, that kind of intellectual knowing, or understanding on, on that level, is one thing. But to actually live uh, the oneness of life is another. In the reading we just read, Walking the Razor's Edge by Joko Beck, from I think it's from her first book. She is attempting to describe as I guess the way to practice as best she can how to live that oneness and what I liked about Joko when I first read her and what I like about her now is still the fact that she was able to translate this kind of mystical oneness into something which was meaningful on our everyday life in terms of our relationships and in terms of our own lives and the places we find ourselves getting caught. And we all know the where we get caught is in separateness and and perhaps the the most direct way of, of knowing when we are caught uh, practicing with being caught in separateness is is the very pervasive experience or feeling of fear. Or anxiety.
as long as we are identified with an apparent separate self, then we're always going to be vulnerable to experiencing insecurity, fear, which is at the bottom of insecurity. Fear takes many different forms. Fear of failure, fear of not being liked, fear of homelessness, fear of poverty, fear of loneliness, fear of pain. Just contemplate for a minute some of the forms in which you experience fear. What is one of your core fears? the way we all try in various ways to prevent or do our best to protect ourselves from these eventualities. Notice how the origin of fear is often via the identification with our mind, the thinker. How we project a future which may be worse than the present. Or we reminisce about a past which is better than the present or the projected future. Why is it so hard to be free of all of that and just be here in the now, just to be this timeless presence that we were doing our guided meditation on earlier on this morning? Joko in this reading basically points to two fields or domains of practice. I guess one is working with thoughts and the other is um, working with the body. In contemporary psychotherapy practice we might talk about that as being the top-down and bottom-up approaches to therapy. Working with thoughts, we practice to disidentify with the thinker, with the 
identification with the thoughts. This can be simply the practice of observing or labeling thoughts. When we are observing or labeling thoughts, we experience the fact that uh, we are the observer or the I, which is not the thought. And the thought is an object which is coming and going. And that which we truly are is that which is experiencing the thought. Hence we don't. gives us a freedom to see clearly that a thought is just a thought and we don't have to identify or believe a thought. And this is an important part of practice and um, often thoughts can be very sneaky, very tricky. Beliefs that we may be unconscious of or thoughts that we may be unconscious of can still have an impact upon our mood or how we're feeling on any particular day. So it's not always easy to be aware of what we're thinking. So when it's not when a thought is outside of our consciousness, or a belief is operating, or a memory or something is operating, we can usually, if we don't pick it up as a thought or a story, we can usually pick it up as a body sensation or emotion of some kind, which then alerts us to the fact that we are caught in some kind of belief or thought. Often around some kind of judgment or comparison of some kind. Getting us back involved in the illusionary world of time, past, present and future. And we know that the solution to all of this is to actually come back to the now. Because we know when we come back to the now that it's inherently free and that's where suffering can come to an end. But try as we may, we are often pulled back into the projections into the future and the past. Because the layers and layers of sedimentation and conditioning of the separate self uh, and the body is the whole other field of practice. It's one thing to be conscious of the thoughts which come and go and to observe them as a train going past while we sit on the station but it's another thing to be able to free ourselves and from the years of conditioning in our body the felt sense of being a separate self in our body and uh, as we move deeper and deeper into practice, we move deeper and deeper into our bodies to free our bodies from those years of conditioning. 
fear than the fears that we've experienced in all those years. And the, the memories of those fears lay down in the body, the contractions, the flinchings. They're not necessarily going to disappear even after years of practice. But we can certainly grow to recognize them and at the same time grow to recognize that what fear actually is, is a kind of memory, the memory of our animal body that remains with us, the residues of that fear. And we can start to appreciate or to see clearly that this is something which is arising in this awareness that we are, this silence that we are, where no fear resides. And we can meet those contractions and those layers of memories in that loving presence. We can hold our frightened animal body in that love and let it soften. In the same way as the as the little child that wakes up in the middle of the night afraid of the tiger under the bed and runs into her mother's bedroom and jumps into bed with her mother and her mother comforts her in words and reassures her that there are no tigers in Sortel. It's not so much the words that ease the child's fear and allow the child to go back to sleep and relax. It's the fact that the mother is not afraid. There is no fear being communicated, only warmth. In the same way that the child is comforted by the primary attachment figure, we can also be comforted by our true self as our primary attachment. The self which is always present, never leaves us. It can hold our fears and allow them to soften and relax. silent and inwardly still. When we feel ourselves as being and we feel the expansion that comes. We can take that, that life 
go down deep into the body. And just welcome anything, any old fear that wants to be free or released. idea of what mine are. One of my core fears tends to revolve around material insecurity and I guess the uh, what may happen in old age or older age. feel myself when I feel that fear coming up. I return to this moment, this now. And it's very comforting. fear goes away and I return to appreciating what I have, my life as it is right now. So I'll stop there and uh, open up the discussion for a Anybody else who would like to share or ask a question? It's um, the the experience of fear or anxiety is the the way 
our awareness tells us that we're caught into the we've moved away from the now into the future or the past the reverse thing can happen very easily where we start to dwell on times in the past when we were younger maybe (laughs) (laughs) not that youth always necessarily means happiness they two don't necessarily go together neither wasted on the youth. What's the same? I think a lot of the I think a lot of the, the fears like mine, you know, my, my one fear is to die in pain because I've watched people doing that. And the other one of course is that I lose my marbles and uh, you know, add the drain on the family or the community resources. And so whenever I'm fearful about anything in the future, I go back back to my past and I do a quick review of everything that's happened and I, and I just have a sense of my goodness, well, in spite of everything. Now, I don't even know what the right words are, but I would say the universe has my back for wonder, another way of putting it, you know, um, a sense of a lot of times when I really had no idea how this was all going to be sorted out and what to do. Um, these very serendipitous things would happen in my life where there was no logical explanation. I would meet somebody or suddenly there would be something available or I would read a book or somebody would tell me something. And so I can, I can, whenever I feel, you know, anxious, I can, like, go back to this pool of experience and think, oh, really, what's happened in the past is far worse than what you're anxious about now. And through all that stuff you've survived and there's been a sense that that life or whatever, you know, is supporting you. I mean, if I were religious, of course, it would be God, but I don't, I'm not into all that. Um, and so, yeah, so I mean, uh, that's probably a, a weird construct. Um, and so then I think, oh, well, anyway, it's hard not to think, as you know, then I think, well, look, there's no use flapping about all this. It's all been put up to now. Just be in the moment, carry on in your cheerful, optimistic way. I know this is all very simple, but it's... Well, you know, that there's that poem we recite called, you know, it's called Faith, the translation, you know, this faith in mind. Mm-hmm. It could be simply, it could be even could be the same as trust in heart or basically the faith in the universe or the faith in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the universe is a friendly place, like a sense of faith mm-hmm. used in that way. Now, of course, that all might be a total illusion that we construct in order to soothe ourselves. I'm very aware of that. But I just think, oh, whether that method works or not. I think it's important to make a distinction between fear and pain. Mm. And 
you know, how to be without fear, I think, is the question. And, uh, and, and, and fear, the, fear is that communication that's telling us that we're caught into separateness. Mm. So it's okay to be afraid. <laughs> and, 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 you know, sometimes it's a very useful um, emotion to experience. Other times, and it's um, when it's more a psychological fear or anxiety, then it's more problematic when we're generating it ourselves. Well, I think what, what, what fear of like, um, you know, pain and death or say dementia, the effect that it has on me is to um, seize the day. You know, a sense of, right, okay, well, no point doing a little bit about that. Just really, as I want to, like, uh, absolutely relish today. Mm. You know, a sense of, of um, mm. living more deeply in the day. I mean, this is what so many cancer survivors say, people who've had cancer or something, that mm. after surviving something like that, they simply have a completely different take on life and the preciousness of each day. Hmm. Or maybe, or maybe you'll see yourself in the in the eyes of the bodhisattva caregiver that's looking after you. Yeah, I have thought of that. I have thought of that actually. Every uh, all the, um, it gives all these people an opportunity to care. I'm I'm quite aware of that, uh, but you know, I'm still not so uncomfortable with it. That's all head stuff again. If we were a wealthy sangha, we could have a beautiful nursing home just <laughs> with Tibetan bells and <laughs> meditation in the mornings. Maybe we could work on that. All we need is a wealthy donor. That's true. <laughs> We could maybe improve on Bellarama. <laughs> Bellarama. A different model of care with all sorts of age groups living in the same place might be nice. Mm, mm. In, in, um, in the reading, which kind of dovetails into like, what you just spoke to, Andrew. It sounds like the sense doors, information from the sense doors, are this elevated, like to lift the razor's edge, is elevated above that of like what the um, what's being produced in the thought realm. Is that right? Well, kind of, but like I mean. She's speaking the more about um, the sense of, and it it might not we, we might not experience this all the time, but the sense of non-separation when we're just being the hearing or just being the seeing, when there's no sense of an experiencer in here and an experienced out there, um, and and sometimes a thought, I mean itself, can be experienced in this in it as just a kind of. Again, like a, a current running through the 
ocean of awareness or consciousness. So sometimes, like thoughts, don't necessarily disturb us. It's it's really the the um, the when we, when 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 the thought creates a story that we get caught into or believe, or that it becomes a reality. But sometimes thoughts can just be like the cars going past, and if they don't have any kind of reality creating kind of function. So, I mean, thoughts might grow less as we practice, they might not, but the actual process of thinking doesn't necessarily stop. But the, the experience of the thinking is, 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 is transformed. So that the, 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 um, the sense in which we were taught to really believe our thoughts and identify with our thoughts and prioritize our thoughts uh, grows less compelling. So the thinker becomes less, less, less real in that sense. We don't identify with it as much. And who's the thinker? I mean, see, so by, uh, you know, the, the sound, the sensation, and the thought, but there's nobody, there's nobody in there that's seeing the the sen feeling the sensation or seeing the visual or thinking the thought. There's no me in here. It's gone. Just the warmth of the sunlight. The, the sense doors, yeah. Empty of any self. Alternatively, that is the self. No, no, the universe is the self. And then sometimes, I think, when we're sort of in that state, or you know, have been in that state, the thoughts that are really important, the thoughts that we need, seem to come, or, or I find that. And then when we're thinking about something, worrying about for a while, whatever, and getting nowhere, and then if you just sort of let it go. Sometimes a thought will come that will actually be quite useful. It's, um, I mean, there's a level of thinking which is practical, which we don't discard. Um, but the, um, and even, I mean, some teachers would even say that some forms of philosophical thinking is probably fine as well. but. The knowing that we're talking about in this this kind of non-dual practice and Zen practice—that's the knowing of the the knowing of the silence. It's the uh, it's that inner knowing. It's nothing to do with thought. It's uh, often in the Buddhist text, it's translated as prajna or wisdom. It's the inner knowing. Nothing to do with thought. You have a question, like is it? And I don't think I'm maybe not answering you. What were yet? Um, um, yeah. Um, go, go, go into it. What's um, what's your query? Um, it, it feels somehow um, disrespectful to thought in that. 
over the other and to um, like the, the condition like yeah, yeah, okay. Can I just respond to that? Because that's important. Um, yeah, the, the assumption in the reading is that she's talking about thought which takes the form of self-centered uh, thinking. Around the belief of a separate Yeah, thought. yeah. So thought that's attached to that... Me. Kind of ...brings us back to duality. Whereas in Zen and also other traditions, there's a sense in which the definitely a kind of questioning and answer process or an inquiry process can be used to also um, to to free us from that sense of, of separation. Yeah. Yeah. As can you know, as can a, uh, uh, a lovely poem or music or mm. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, that's a good point. Yeah. Don't want to throw every, th every thought out with that. No. Not, we don't want to say thinking is bad or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andrew, I, I, I had I found useful. Uh, when it comes to fears, you know, I mean, we all have these fears of old age. But um, this technique, which is put forward by um, Christoph Andre, a, a French psychiatrist who's put some books out in English, uh, but his, his thinking on fears, something I found useful was he, you, you acknowledge the fears, yes, you know, there, there is the fear, try and see it and acknowledge it and all that. Uh, you don't suppress it. So when people say, don't suppress your fears, you think, well, that's easier said than done, sort of thing. Now, but he has this technique where you, you meant to look at, you sort of look at your mind and say, here's these fears in it. Uh, leave them there, don't, don't deny them, but add in some good thoughts uh, from the past, you know, sort of happy times or something. He thinks you can, you can, you can re-experience happiness from the past to a degree. And so you, you dilute the fears down. And also, let, let the happy thoughts fill the center of your consciousness. Because he has this idea that the suffering thoughts take over the center of your consciousness. So, so you bring in these happy thoughts and they dilute the whole so I lose all the fears down. <laughs> Just a technique which I sort of found useful. Oh well, yeah, I, I think there are, you know, um, those kind of techniques can work in, 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 a, in, a, in a helpful fashion for someone to make a little shift in that moment for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, they may not necessarily work to get down to the actual um, re residues of the fear and the contractions in the body and the, the way in which the body is necessarily holding the fear. Um, sometimes it requires, uh, and so like um, faith, faith in faith in the 
that um, we can meet our fears with our awareness, which is inherently loving anyway, mm. and, um, and experience the fear directly as a body sensation, like you were suggesting. So the allowing of the fear, like as mm. you were suggesting, yeah. um, um, and um, once that is allowed, then there, there can be a, a healing that occurs in that moment mm. of that fear too. Um, yeah. But you know, think, I mean, you know, the whole that song, you know, the singer, you know, when, whenever you're afraid, think of a yeah. happy tune yeah. kind of thing. There's, a, there's certainly some folk wisdom in that. Yeah, yeah. it's said in many different ways, of course, as you say, through folk wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, so if that the fear is held in your body, like you're saying that fear is held in the body. Um, I mean, you're only, we're only like in the, the I, I keep on thinking, you know, for, for grief and those sorts of things, the body has its, it already has its building mechanism to release that um, in the form of, of deep crying. Because if you cry and cry and cry and draw in, happens to me if I cried and cried and cried and cried and cried and cried until I can't cry anymore there's this sense of a complete exhaustion of the body of like that 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 sadness having me like completely emptied out and then there is a sense of peace afterwards it's almost like the body has cried the grief out and I and I'm thinking something similar really probably goes for fear and anxiety too when people scream like that, you know, they scream and scream and scream until they're exhausted. But those are like two automatic things whereby the body tries to resolve this, you know, these, these strong emotions. And it's not by the mind, it's, it's the body trying to get rid of that inherent tension that they build up. Mm. So apart from something like that, what other techniques would there be to um, to you know, get rid of the holdings in the body. I mean, you say you know just to realize your awareness, and that awareness is lovely. Full stop. So would it be just sitting and meditating, or what? Well, probably many. There are many sort of therapeutic techniques which you probably you haven't got time to go into. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I agree with what you're saying that um, in terms of grief, deep 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 sobbing, very, very healing. Um, um, the problem is when you get, say, complicated grief. And uh, so there's, the, um, there's lots of other um, factors which are blocking that process of releasing in that way. And um, But even with, uh, even with comp I mean, again, a lot of the work is just about, I guess, sitting out or the, the direct experience of the fear from the stories or the beliefs that may be maintaining it in different ways. And so there's a, there's a, I guess we work both with the story and with the direct experience of the body. And uh, we need to do both. 
and see clearly what unconscious belief we're attached to, as well as working directly with the, the contraction or the tight knot in the body. Thank you. The fear I identified was a bit different. Um, I, I thought about what's the sort of, uh, the sort of background fear that kind of uh, comes up for me sometimes and I think it's the fear of being overwhelmed so I think it's the fear of because at the moment uh, in my life of course there's lots of things work, family, little kids, meals, you know uh, so and it is both a mental fear and a bodily fear too and I notice how much I avoid the razor's edge of that by um, getting a bit manic sometimes, by all sorts of things, you know, to try and, which makes it worse. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm, I meet with many people, but I would say probably the core fear is one of being overwhelmed, yeah. Mm -hmm. And keeping busy is one way of keeping that at bay, yeah. Mm. There's also, I think, this is what I'm really especially if you've got young children, it's you just life. Mm. Most of adults' life, um, you don't want to have to live on that edge because you're the one who's responsible. You've got to do that stuff. If you live on that razor's edge, that could become quite, mm. and for me, you feel like that could become quite dangerous. Um, you don't like experiences, you know, mm. small child or small children or something. To be on the razor's edge wouldn't be dangerous. It, it would be the... Um, um, if you could sit on the razor's edge, it'd be fine. But it would be the... Um, it would be if you... If, if, if the identification with the sense of overwhelm um, took you away from the razor's edge. So it's more of a fear of opening up to the razor's edge in that sense. So avoiding the razor's edge. Uh, yeah, it is actually an issue. If I let that go, and just do the best I can, there's plenty of time to do well enough, or whatever, and that's a gift to you. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I use this example a lot of um, how fear can be stored in the body. And um, a client I work with quite a long time ago was in a bushfire many, many years ago. He was in his 70s when I saw me, and I think he was in his 30s when the bushfire happened. And um, we were just at um, doing, the, doing a, a narrative reconstruction of that particular day, and his, his family had gone, and he'd gone back to the house in South Australia, and he was got at the point in the narration where the, um, this tree just burst into flames and as soon as he, he gave that description it was just like uh, total possession by that fear, right reliving of that fear right there and then that took over his body and uh, as if he was back there. So it was uh, an example of that, how that fear that can be stored away. For, and it was coming out as different symptoms, like he was feeling this sense of warmth in his face and a nausea and other stuff that was 
that was it was still coming out as physical symptoms because it mm-hmm. 